The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work as an executive advisor, a speaker, consultant, and coach. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on helping leaders innovate how they lead. I'm also on faculty in universities in the U.S. and Germany. Today, I'm delighted that our show will feature Cynthia Cherry. She's the president and CEO of the International Leadership Association, a global network of leadership scholars, scholars, educators, and practitioners. Previously, Cynthia served as the vice president and lecturer in the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs at Princeton University. She publishes in the areas of leadership, organizational development, and higher education, including co-authoring Systemic Leadership, Enriching the Meaning of Our Work, co-editing ILA's Building Leadership Bridges book series, and her most recent publication is Women in Leadership Around the World. She served as a co-editor. She's also a fellow at the World Business Academy and a recipient of a J.W. Fulbright Scholarship. Cynthia's interests in research explore new ways to live, work, and lead in a knowledge-driven, interdependent global society. She consults and speaks to for-profit and non-profit organizations around the world on leadership and organizational change. As the president of a multi-sector professional association, she's an expert at working in the intersections and crossing and sorry, expert in working in the intersections and crossing the borders and boundaries organizations encounter. So as the person who's created this innovative leadership series, my focus is on helping leaders actually change their behaviors so stem the depreciation that all of us face if we're not, in fact, innovating how we lead. So my focus is providing practical information that you can put to work at the end of the show, this week, next week, evaluate how you're doing, and continue to refine those leadership skills and behaviors. So at the outcome of this show, we're at the fulcrum point in our history and in this unique time. We need effective global leadership. During the show, we'll discuss leadership from global and local perspectives and explore the International Leadership Association and its contributions to research and practice of international leadership. What's really exciting to me, our first show, which was about a year and a quarter ago, uh, was on Leadership 2050. So looking at the trends we're facing over the next 35 years 
um, the leadership required to bring those on board. That show was based on a chapter that uh, was written by Susan Cannon, Mike Morrow Fox, and I in one of Cynthia's books. So I'm delighted to bring this full circle that, in fact, Cynthia, who made some of that work possible, is now our guest. So, Cynthia, welcome. I am delighted. You are such an accomplished leader and scholar, and so I feel really fortunate that you are joining us on the show. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, thank you, Maureen, and actually, it's a pleasure to be here, and um and it is wonderful. You yourself are an amazing scholar in this field, um, and you really model what we talk about at the ILA, which is that intersection of scholarship and practice um, in terms of how do you really make the scholarship work in a practical setting. So it was a delight for the ILA to support your work in one of the ILA um, books. Um, my Thank background you. is I grew up in um, Minnesota, in rural Minnesota, um, I'm a first-generation college student, and I think I learned about leadership really through the work that I did um, at home, but also being that first generation, you really have to learn um, how to do things on your own. You don't have that background of support, so you're always exploring and experimenting, and it's by trial and error. Um, and so leadership was something I was always interested in early on in my college career, and as I worked worked in higher education settings, I always had this thread of um, teaching leadership or writing about leadership or working with students in leadership programs. And then working with the ILA, it has allowed me to expand my work in um, bringing together not just all of us who are students of leadership, but the scholars, the practitioners, and the educators who are all, all working on this collectively together. Thank you. And and you were at Princeton. I just every time I read your bio, I, I realize this is going to sound like the Mutual Admiration Society. Um, I, I am continually impressed. So let's move into our content. We need to think globally. We've heard that phrase: think globally, work locally. Uh, what's driving the requirement for becoming a global society? Um, with its, what are the roadmaps, what are the competencies, and specifically for those who are listening pre-election, I know this will be rebroadcast um, hopefully well after our current election. We're, we're um, in the midst of dialogue in multiple countries. Uh, the Brexit um, vote that happened in the UK, leaving, leaving the EU, and different countries looking at how how do we want to interact on a global stage? So it seems a really relevant question right now. That's a very huge question. Let me see if I can address it in a couple of ways. Um, I shared with you that I grew up in um, Minnesota, which is really the region of lakes, and I have to use this metaphor of when it used to be when you would stand on the edge of a lake, you could almost see, you, you, you could see a storm come across the lake. It, it was slow. Mm. You could see the clouds build up. You could see the rain coming. You could prepare. You could get dressed for it. Um, and now, I'd say the metaphor, we live in this period of rapid change where the calm before that storm, that time to prepare is less and yet, and less and less. And the periods of turbulence are more and more. 
And we are in one of those fulcrum points in history. I think I shared um, with you where in history where everything that was is tripping over everything that is. And Peter Goldmark says it, I think, in an even better way. He says we live in a period of ultimata. Um, and a lot of that is due to our becoming a global society, right? And becoming global is really driven by this increasing economic interaction among countries, by this growing number of economic and political treaties, partnerships, and alliances. We saw that very early on, um, and now you see more and more of those type of partnerships and alliances taking place, and by the innovations in communication and technology that are occurring that really allow people from all over the world to interact personally and electronically and to do that almost instantaneously, which then results in the spread of both accurate information and inaccurate information. So as societies are more and more influenced by all these political, social, economic, and technological transactions across borders, change is influenced not only internal to an organization or to a country, but by individuals interacting across organizations, across institutions, and across countries. And that has created the first ever semblance of a global civilization, or what people really now are calling a modern civilization, and others are calling a global culture, really, because it connects diverse cultures within and across all continents. So we are in a different time frame, if you will, in the world today. You know, it does seem like we've got, I don't know that you can go anywhere in the world and not see a Coca-Cola or tennis shoes with American brands on them or American cars. Even hiking in Africa, not so much American shoes and cars there, but certainly in in the major cities, there are American products, and we are massive importers. So it does seem like, you know, I walk down the street and there are, in Ohio, and there are executives from Honda and other uh, global corporations. So it, it seems that it is ever-present. It is, and actually, when we started to see the major shift was after World War II. Um, that's when we saw the beginnings of the need for this uh, new governance structures for a global economy. And if you think about it, you know, NATO was probably one of the um, first really large across all institutional and countries um, way of connecting um, folks. And it was done initially in a defensive mode, right? The threat of Soviet expansion. But as you look at NATO and the history behind it, it now um, has also an emphasis on European political integration and also economic progress. In the 90s, it was used and expanded by bringing in other countries for the stabilization of Eastern Europe and Central Asia. And now it's used in terms of more thinking about it as extending peace in a way. And another example of what we have today is the European Union. And for the fact of all of the European countries coming together, but now what we have um, also is this time between what I would call paradigms of civilization, 
where mm-hmm. there's this contrast between this accelerated evolution of folks having to collaborate and cooperate and work together, um, and yet there, you know, every solution presents more problems. And so, what you find are also individuals who want to go back to the familiar mm-hmm. and even return to the past. Um, and Brexit may be an example of that. So, but what we really need is this fundamental change towards co-creating ways of living together in an ever-increasing, interdependent, global um, society. Um, you know, I remember there was a talk Obama gave um, in a talk around the global economy, and um, he said restricting trade or giving into protectionism in the 21st century economy will not work. So as much as we sometimes want to go back, we can't go back, right? There uh-huh. is no going back on a global economy. It's impacting us in ways we know and in ways we don't know. You know, one of the, um, having grown up in a military family, some of what I've read is military history, and I I am far from an expert, so I should not speak. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I remember reading in a strategy book was the way to be most safe going forward is economic interdependence, Mm -hmm. that many countries will act in their own economic interest. So if we're a strong trading partner, the probability of a negative um, outcome from an invasion perspective or, or violence perspective is we are safer. I think that's right. I also am not a, um, a historian, um, but I think that is actually, if you look at the EU, that's one of the um, other benefits that has happened. But... You know, as we look at this, I think it's a difficult concept to grasp. Being a global economy, being a global society is difficult for us, right? It's not an easy concept. So you talked about uh, competencies for global leadership, and I know you have done extensive research. I've done some work in this space. Can you give some ideas of even working in smaller companies, many leaders are working either with uh, trading partners internationally, clients internationally, uh, and for larger companies, certainly many of them are headquartered internationally. Even as a small company, I have global clients and I'm teaching in Europe, so, and, and I have global colleagues. I had someone over from the U.K. this week, or last week, so, so it seems more prevalent. What what things should leaders be thinking about with regard to um, behavioral skills in working globally? Well, I think the first thing we need to look at is what we mean by thinking globally, right? I think okay. too many of us believe that means projecting our own belief out, beliefs and values and cultural norms and applying those to other parts of the world, right? It's our perception um, that our norms and our behaviors and beliefs are not only the only way, but sometimes I think we just forget there are other ways. Uh So, for example, here's a company that was going global, and they had come up with a new energy drink, and they were promoting this drink in another part of the world, And there were three frames to the marketing, to the advertising. 
the first frame had the person lying down on the ground, no energy. The second frame has the person taking the drink, which gives them energy. The third one has them jumping up in the air full of energy. And what happened is it wasn't taking on, and they weren't understanding why. And part of it was a small thing of not understanding that instead of reading left to right, this culture was reading right to left. So you had the person who was jumping up in the air, then took the energy drink, and the outcome was they're lying flat on the ground. (laughs) So it had the opposite effect, and it's just a small thing of understanding the culture. Okay. As we think about um, being global, it's more than geography, right? It's also about the cultural aspects, the people and the values and the norms and the unwritten rules that we need to be aware of. It's about a global mindset, having what somebody would call worldview intelligence. So how do we really listen and learn? How do we really live, work, and lead in an interdependent society where success is determined by our connectedness, how we understand each other, and how we work collectively together? Because we need to find the solutions that support our shared sustainability. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Can you uh, restate that, and then we'll go to break? Sure. We're Being global really requires us to listen and learn from each other and to find solutions for our shared humanity, right, and to support our shared sustainability, right? So because it requires us to work across nations and cultures and um, religions as well as societal sectors and social class. Perfect. Thank you. Let's come back to that because it's such a rich statement um, and and really bears thinking about how do we implement. So this is Maureen Metcalf with Cynthia Cherry from the International Leadership Association, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, and we're focusing on global leadership. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. 
Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. This is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Uh, you're joining Maureen Metcalf and Cynthia Cherry talking about global leadership. So, Cynthia, before we went on break, you were talking about the um, global mindset specifically, and you gave a lot of examples ranging from culture to religion. And so I wonder if you can give a couple of concrete examples. You gave the beautiful example of the energy drink and reading backwards, which I have a niece who's studying Arabic right now, so I know that that she's been um, reading opposite of how we do. Can you give a couple other examples and how someone may have uh, rescued something that wasn't going well because of their cultural awareness and global mindset? I think this really gets to the basis of what I'm hoping we will explore, Marine, together, which is really how we think about things and how we learn about um, each other. And so, I mean, we could probably together come up with a couple of examples of what's taking place today um, in the world. Um, There are so many examples of political leaders where there is this sense of wanting to go back, I think is one of the things that we need to be careful of and being very conscious of. I think there's this other point of um, where we get caught. So a great example, I don't know if you saw in the New York Times this last week, but talked about in the 1950s how um, in... um, they were writing out citations for women who were wearing bikinis on beaches. And now in France, there's the overreaction to women who are wearing the burkinis. Um, yeah, I did see that, actually, because I didn't know what a burkini looked like until that. Right, so it's this covering too much, but it's it, it goes to a deeper um, fear of values and, and difference, um, and also the fear of having... Um, uh, terrorism, right? So if you think of what's happening with with violence in the world, there's an understanding as to why we have this greater fear, but it also means we have to get across those types of misunderstandings and unknowns. You know, it does seem like such a sticky issue. I've been in conversation with some family members recently uh, specifically about the the balance between preserving safety and preserving commerce. And it does seem like a delicate balance. And yet, to your point earlier, we have no idea what would happen to our economic success and structure and jobs if we were to rein in trade and um, cut it off. Exactly. And I think what's interesting today is that in this new global society that's emerging, it really does require us to think globally um, and also to think about leadership from a global context. And you've done work in this area where um, we have to, given the changes that are happening, um, it's really time for us to reevaluate our understanding of what we mean by leadership and Mm -hmm. how we really think about it differently. Yeah, thank you for saying that. The The foundation of the Leader 2050 chapter 
was looking at the mindset of the leader in 35 years. And just thinking of our conversation now and several I've had recently, the idea that we are facing much more complex challenges, so so the one of security specifically, mm-hmm. um, and that's just relevant because relevant to me right now because of conversations I've been having. But across the range, we all have areas that are are important at the time, and the complexity of our thinking just has to increase because we're facing a range of issues that are so interconnected that that it is unlikely that we're going to think it through and get the right answer up front. You know, you, you've talked about working across borders and boundaries and dealing also with the complexity of issues that, um, I'm trying to find the right words for it, that that we have to engage multiple stakeholders who are looking at things from perspectives that we often either don't understand or don't like to create a robust solution that, again, wouldn't be the one that we would prefer, but it, it balances these multiple stakeholders that just are present in our world right now. Whether or not we like them, we have to attend to them. That is so on target, and um, and it's complicated, all right? I'm thinking of um, our having to model what we talk about in terms of, of um, being an international association as well. I'm thinking of the ILA. Our conference this year is in Atlanta. Next year, it's in Brussels. Oh, and cool. after the terrorism attack, um, we had conversations around, do we move forward with Brussels? And as we had that conversation, there were a couple of interesting perspectives that came out of it. One was I was in Europe, um, in Berlin and a number of other European countries, and I was asking them what they thought. And they said, Cynthia, quite frankly, we are more, we feel less secure coming to the States because of your violence than we do in terms of going to Brussels. And sharing that with some of our U.S. colleagues, I said, huh, I never thought about that, right? Because we've become a little more immune to that. But it was a totally different perspective that helped us. And the other was, as an international association, no matter where we go, we are always going to have to be aware of safety. But we also have to look at it's important for us to be in different parts of the world. And it's important for us to be in Brussels at this time. Right? So it's a, it was an example of the different perceptions, perspective, um, basically, of where you stand in the world and the importance of taking a stand. It's a beautiful example. Thank you. Because, you know, one of the things I want to do, it's easy to give, you know, read the list of competencies and say it's complex and yet just have to figure it out. It's yet another to say, and this is how we did it, right? These, these are the perspectives. This is the real-world challenge we're facing. And we know that there are a lot of people that won't uh, be comfortable with the decision we took and the direction we're going to take. And yet it is continually now a series of balancing acts. Exactly. Exactly. So how do we help people develop these? 
your organization is a group of scholars and practitioners, which I honestly think is brilliant because both sets can end up in their in their respective uh, bubbles and don't always intersect as effectively as we need to, again, at a point in time where better thinking and better practices are required. I think, you know, you and I have talked about the importance of having diverse perspectives around the table, um, not for the sake of diversity alone, but because you need people who come with different experiences and different perspectives because there is no one solution or one silver bullet anymore in terms of of having that one right answer. Um, it's now a matter of really um, looking at how we um, collectively think and then come up with um, um, really in many ways not one solution but choosing many small actions, really, because if you have this complex system, you know, it depends on many, many parts, but they function so intricately together that you almost have to find multiple ways to influence the system at the same time rather than that one big magic bullet. Um, you know, for example, in working in higher education and in student affairs work for many, many years, um, individuals always, they were always this, what's the silver bullet for... Um, <laughs> Um, alcohol use and abuse on a college campus. Well, there isn't one silver bullet. So you have to try these multiple smaller actions to influence the bigger system. You know, for me, that's one of the biggest points is this, and I use this language of experimentation, Mm. not that we have no idea where we're doing or what we're doing or where we're going, but I don't know exactly the right combination I know if I'm making stew, relatively, I'm, I'm putting in meats and vegetables. But I don't know in what proportions, given our current situation. So kind of pulling from the agile software development methodology, the, the idea that I bring together the right constituents, we do small experiments, nothing that's going to cause us to blow up. And we learn with every experiment, so in... Uh, small increments we're refining and, in, and updating. So in software, it would be every two weeks or every month. Depending on the business challenge we're facing, it, it could be daily that we're, we're um, piloting something and then refining and then piloting something else and refining. And it becomes the, the process of piloting and refining ends up being the core competency. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually lovely, and I think that is one of the competencies, right? Um, I would add to that um, around flexibility, which really is is also part of what you are describing, because in these complex systems, they're inherently unpredictable, right? So we can't even know how they're going to respond to all of our actions. Um, so we have to do this um, testing and experimentation and... Um, watching how the actions are affecting and making continual adjustments to the plans along the way. So there is um, this sense of don't work for perfectionism because perfectionism, if you're looking for being perfect or for that perfect solution, you're never going to get anywhere. If you're going to stick to a really definitive plan, um, 
then you lose because you'll lose if it's not working, if you still stick with it. Remember, Maureen, those old um, oh strategic plans, um, MBO, <laughs> I think they used to. Yeah, I used to help build those. There you go. <laughs> well, and we still plan, but we at least I still plan, but I plan with the mindset that these are scenarios we're likely to face, and depending on the triggers, we'll move in one direction or the other, but it still makes sense to know what's our core business, as an example. Exactly. Um, what are we willing to do and not willing to do? How do we invest our resources? But to your point, it's a very different than plan the work, work the plan, and stick to the plan. Now it's have a plan and know when to deviate and, and be thoughtful in the deviations. Exactly. And I look at, I think we're, we're still in, the, the, um, in this middle of ground where we are still living in, in kind of what I would call the remnants of the industrial era, right? Okay. And now we're in this knowledge economy or this global world where there was this traditional way of doing things. Um, for example, the leader was the leader and knew all. And we know in today's type of organization, um, that that's not necessarily true, right? And that you have to look at things, I, I describe it as both the pyramid, the top-down um, hierarchy, which still exists, and the um, spider web that's overlaid on the, on the pyramid because you're in this interconnected world that you also need to um, work. So, yes, you put in place your policies and your procedures. At the same time, what's compelling is making sure that there is a very clear vision and the values and that we continue to um, talk about the vision and the values and model the values of the organization. And that's another way that kind of holds as, a, if you will, a strange attractor that keeps um, an organization moving forward in the right direction, even when there's this experimentation, right, and that we reward experimentation and that we reward failure because if we're not failing at times, it means we're not taking risks and it means we're not experimenting and we're not trying to continue to align our goals Mm -hmm. with the direction in the future of that organization. Yeah, I want to respond because I love the idea of the idea of failing forward fast, um, and then reframed as learning forward. So, the idea that we're failing, I think, terrorizes some executives, and yet they are controlled, well-crafted experiments. Right? We we are moving from command and control to brilliant scientists. Mm-hmm. So we wouldn't be where we are if Einstein wasn't a brilliant scientist. And so just reframing the failing to learning, I think, may be helpful. And, and on that note, we're going to go to break. This is Maureen Metcalf and Cynthia Cherry talking about global leadership. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. 
As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, welcome back. Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm delighted that we're joined by Cynthia Cherry today. She's the President and CEO of the International Leadership Association. Before we went on break, we were talking about leaders transitioning from command and control, which at that point in time was the best and most effective way of leading as we've moved into more of a knowledge management or knowledge-based economy, we've moved away from command and control in many organizations and toward this next knowledge management kind of leadership role that, that we were talking about being, uh, having several qualities, and one is, is the accelerated need to integrate different perspectives and learn fast or also called fail fast. So, Cynthia, you were talking about an Einstein quote. Well, Maureen, you remind me of this, and when I lived in Princeton, I walked by this um, statue of Einstein every day, and it had a number of his wonderful quotes on it, but one that I thought was so accurate and so um, appropriate for what we've been talking about is when um, he had said that the significant problems that we face today cannot be solved with the same level of thinking and that, that existed when we created them. Um, which I always thought was such a, you know, he's so smart and he says things in such a simple way. Um, and I would add to that and say that nor can these problems be solved with the same leadership we had when we created them, right? So we've, that's why I think some of the work that you're doing and that is being done in the ILA is really about exploring leadership in today's context, right? And I think part of what, as we're thinking about this, you know, we still need the traditional skill set. I think we don't, sometimes people think we're th- throwing everything away from the past. It's not so, right? We, have to, we still need some of those traditional skills but in our backpack. But I'd say there are some additional capacities that maybe you and I can talk about. I would describe it as our GPS to navigate the present and, and, and the future um, ab- about the work that, we, that we're doing on a global level. So and I'd say the very first one, in a global society that you need is global acumen. I mean, if, if we don't have a, develop a global perspective and that real understanding and the experience and insights of working in today's society, then 
we're really not doing our work because we really truly need um, to be well-versed in the diversity of the world. And we may be flat in terms of technology, but I think we're still quite bumpy in the sense that people <laughs> from different organizations and different, of the area, different areas of the world work in very different ways. And we talked about some of those examples earlier. And, and I know you you've done some work around this as well. I think it's really relevant that often it is easy to fall into the trap of forgetting that other people are different than we are. Exactly. Yeah. There's a great um, research study that was done just a few years ago by uh, the Center for Creative Leadership, and they said 86% of their senior executives believed it was important to work effectively across culture and geographic boundaries in their roles, but only 7% of them believed that they were effective at doing so. Only 7%. Wow. So 93% of leaders think, either don't think about it at all, which means they're probably not effective, or they think they're not effective. It's a great other way of saying exactly. Exactly. So I want to come back at some point in a few minutes to how the ILA helps leaders do exactly this. Because I think much of what you're doing positions you brilliantly to help leaders and practitioners um, build that global acumen. But let's go, before we talk about that, let's focus on what other competencies do global leaders or emerging leaders need to be thinking about to prepare themselves for the the reality we're facing now and will continue to face in a more pressing manner. Yeah. I think there's one, Maureen, you, you talked about um, that is real important, and that's the sense of ongoing learning or what I would call this immersive integrative learning. Uh-huh. That we need really to learn um, how, you know, because connectivity increases, all of this connectivity creates accelerated movement, which continues to speed up, which requires us to continually learn, to continually adapt to the changing mm-hmm. environment. So learning how to learn, I think, is a very important thing. And I guess also learning how to unlearn, which is probably harder, yeah. or letting go of old habits um, is a challenge. But I think becoming learning-focused and there was a wonderful um, thing that um, uh, author Johnson in his um, book on uh, future leader skills talked about, and he said we really need to um, immerse ourselves in different cultures and put ourselves, place ourselves in uncomfortable um, situations so that we really engage in the other, in learning the other. Um, uh, so I, I love that because that's that sense of really being in um, an immerse, immerse yourself in a different culture. And not everybody can do that, right? But each of us can do that in our own way. Now, it can be that we go to another culture and we experience it, not as a tourist, but in the work that we do. And so you and I are fortunate that way. We can immerse ourselves because we work in other cultures. Um, but there are ways of doing that just in reading and in looking at um, programs that are different than what you normally would, um, listening to music that you wouldn't normally listen to, but broaden your horizon on things that are different or uncomfortable. You know, you know grandchildren do this to you in a about in, way. In our book is this idea that you have to be intellectually curious and... Exactly 
learn things outside of your frame. Yeah, James McGregor Burns was wonderful at being, I just, he had intellectual curiosity was at the core of who he was, right? He was, I can remember him sitting when he was 88 years old with a brand new doctoral student and asking her about her research and being Mm -hmm. authentically, genuinely interested in learning about it. You know, I want to make a point at this at this juncture because intellectual curiosity can be hard, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's easy to see and tie this back to your comment about unlearning. So I, I've been um, talking to a family member who has a very different political view than I do, but someone I respect very highly, and really trying to understand things like national security and what are my blind spots. You know, I've spent my entire life formulating a point of view that I hold pretty strongly to, and yet I wonder, so that's the curiosity, what are my blind spots and where am I making ineffective decisions at this point in time because I have discounted or overlooked or just not wanted to think about some of the things from my family history. So it, just to really reinforce that sometimes this learning is hard. It, mm-hmm. it forces it us to look inside in ways that are um, unpleasant and really reevaluate the, the views we hold in some cases. And mm-hmm. as I think about these conversations, some of them are, are, are about diversity and respecting different religions and um, do I have biases? that I didn't realize I had. So I, I do encourage folks to have those really hard perspective-taking conversations, and some of them don't even require global travel, although the topics are global. How do we deal with people who, back to the burkas, and how do we deal with people at the farmer's market who are wearing a burqa? Exactly. Is, should I do anything differently than I do now, which is walk up and say hello? Well, and I, I, when I talk to folks about this, I'll say sometimes we, sometimes we need to suspend our beliefs in order to deepen our beliefs. Mm-hmm. So how do we step outside of our own belief structure, which is challenging to do, to really sit, and it comes back to that listening and learning again, but really listening to the other so that we can get that diverse perspective before we jump in with a response do we really understand the difference? I guess the other I'd say in today's world, which is related, is we need to embrace paradox. Right? You know, it's so if we if we look at paradox, we we've grown up often thinking in an either or or a black or white dualistic perspective. When, in essence, what we really need to do is to work with the paradox that exists in today's global world um, and understand that they're really not opposing polarities, right? It's, it's not, yeah. you think in terms of short-term versus long-term, or let's take global versus local. Um, they both. You know, as in a leadership role, you really cannot afford to ignore the local context over the global context, and you, you, you really need both, right? So, and yeah, and I, 
I'm going to redirect us here. I love this part of the conversation, but I want to make sure with not that much time left that you get a chance to talk about the ILA and the work it is doing and you're doing through it before we come to a close. Well, thank you, Maureen, because you know it's one of my passions, and it it ties so directly in with the work that you talked about in terms earlier when we were discussing global acumen. And um, one of the things, the ILA really grew out of a vision that started with a grant of bringing together about 35 leadership scholars who had not worked together, and they were in different disciplines. Um, And so you can be focused on the same profession and still not work with each other. And so my one of my wonderful stories I just is James McGregor Burns, who is a political theorist and leadership expert, and Warren Bennis, who was in the business area of leadership, hadn't they knew of each other but they had not met. And as a part of the ILA was the first time that they met and introduced each other. Um, and it was wonderful to see these two great thinkers on leadership and different perspectives um, together at the same table talking about leadership. And what the ILA does is it really creates this space for not only leadership scholars from different disciplines to come together, but also individuals who um, teach about leadership and also the practitioner. Um, And it's the practitioner who is really interested in the scholarly work and putting that work into practice. And it's about the scholar who knows that their work can't be done in a vacuum and that they need to meet and convene with the individuals who um, are reading their work and are using their work um, and so that there can be this exchange. So it's what I think we call working at the intersection of leadership, practice, teaching, and research. And it's all done because we need to bring people together to think about things in very different ways. And so the ILA brings people together in a space that allows them to make the connections with others, to get feedback, to share ideas, to share research, to really innovate and collaborate together. And it has created this phenomenal network of 2,700 individuals from 76 countries around the world. And we pull people and we bring them into different contexts. So we just had a conference, a small topical forum around leadership in Latin America in Lima, Peru. And we had around 100 individuals coming together from not just Latin America, although from probably about 15 or 16 different countries um, Mexico, um, all over South America, um, and North America, and from New Zealand and Australia to talk about the research that's being done and the innovative practice and work that's being done in Latin America around leadership. And so those are the types of things we're doing. Um, and then you're aware of our um, Building Leadership Bridges series of thinking about um, leadership and moving it forward. Um, And one wonderful example is the Women in Leadership group. We had a number of women who met, the women and men, who met at the ILA. 
and uh, very interested in doing and researching and have been researching around women in leadership. And they came and said, you know, we think there's enough interest around doing a topical forum, a smaller conference. And we said, okay, let's do it. So we did that. So when and then is after the upcoming that, conference? Because we're coming to a close, and I want to make I, sure that our listeners know about the um, conference in Atlanta. Oh, thank you. Um, November 2 through 5 is the global conference in Atlanta, and the, the theme is inclusive leadership. And the lineup of keynote speakers and phenomenal concurrent sessions are fabulous. We have the former prime minister from Greece, George Pompidou. We have the European ambassador um, to the EU, A.J. Bromdale. And we have um, Ronnie Heifetz, um, leadership scholar on adaptive change, all giving keynotes um, along with a phenomenal group of concurrent sessions all around inclusive leadership. So I so hope, hopefully we'll and I know Maureen, I'll see there. you there. So I'm going to bring us to a close. Thank you so much, and I do hope that we'll do another uh, interview with you, and hope maybe even at the conference. Um, this is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We've been talking about global leadership with Cynthia Cherry from the International Leadership Association. Uh, Cynthia, what's the email address for people who want to connect with the ILA? It is www.ila-net.org. Okay. Again, www.ila-net.org or just Google International Leadership Association. Correct. So as we're wrapping up the show, we've talked about helping leaders innovate how they lead. Hopefully you have heard something today that will help that you can test, try on, experiment with that will position you to be more effective as a global leader. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.